Welcome, People First Leaders. This is your weekly special episode of the Leading People First podcast, where you get to listen in on the honest and most likely uncomfortable conversations from our latest Leaders of Equity, Allyship, and Diversity event. If you are frustrated, saddened, bewildered, disgusted, or feeling any other emotions due to the hate, violence, inequity, and injustice in our society, you are not alone. The Leaders for Equity, Allyship, and Diversity host weekly events to allow leaders to come together, discuss, learn, share, and activate to make a difference in the world. What you're about to listen to is the discussion from our latest meeting where we explored whether or not we in the DEI community are actually alienating our own allies. If you want to learn more and be empowered to act, you'll just have to join us next week. We meet every Thursday at 7.30pm Eastern, 4.30pm Pacific. Listen to the end to get some more information. So get ready to come together and lead. Let's dive on in. For those of you who are new to uh, LEAD, I want to say welcome. LEAD stands for Leaders for Equity, Allyship, and Diversity. For those who are new to the group, um, what we intend to do here is engage our participants in respectful, enlightening, and inspiring dialogues and interactions to advance positive culture transformation on an organizational community and global scale. We wanna inspire action and empower everyone to make a positive difference on an individual level and throughout society. I'm Yvonne Alston. I am going to be the lead moderator and host for tonight, as well as one of the founding members of LEAD. In the Zoom screen to what is my left will be Angelica Patlon, is going to give a wave. She is going to be part of this discussion today as well as Chris Lynn will be joining us as soon as he is available. So with that, just a few house rules to start. Uh, you've heard these before if you've been on uh, our conversations, but just as a, a refresher, let's have civility guiding all of our engagements. Please respect and embrace the differences and opinions and perspectives of others. And let's create a safe space where we can have vulnerable, transparent dialogue, which requires empathy and can sometimes require discretion. So as we're going on and discussing, if you want to post your questions in the chat, we'll address as many of them as we possibly can. So with that, I'm actually going to give the floor to Angelica so she can talk to you guys a little bit about who she is and all the beautiful flavor that she brings to tonight's discussion on Are We Alienating Allies? You got the mic, Angelica. Thanks, Yvonne. Hi, everyone. My name is Angelica Fatlan. I am originally from the Bay Area. I went to Smith College in Massachusetts for undergrad and received a Bachelor of Arts in Anthropology. And I was a 911 dispatcher for over three years in a large Bay Area city police agency. And now I'm in HR because I really wanna change the dynamic. I want to make sure that work is a place that people feel they can belong and in, be included as their whole selves and authentic selves. And I'm excited to have this conversation with you all. Awesome. And for those of you who are not familiar with me, um, I'm Yvonne Austin. Hey, there's Chris. <laughs> awesome. Um, I am Yvonne Austin. I am a DEI strategist. I am also the founder and principal of Indelible Impressions. Uh, we help for-profit and nonprofit organizations pinpoint their gaps and opportunities uh, to improve their culture, give them the tools and resources to do that and then help them along their DEI journey on a year over year basis. Um, and so with that, I'm gonna toss the mic to my buddy, Chris Lynn, who is in the house. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing? Thank you for joining us uh, to have this awesome conversation today. A very honest conversation with ourselves today. Hey, Lindsay, what's up? I see you in the chat there. Um, yes, I am the host of the Leading People First podcast, and I'm very happy to be a co-founder of the Leaders for Equity, Allyship, and Diversity. So welcome. Thank you again so much, and let's get it started. All right, awesome. So the first big question, because you know, I hear a lot about like, what really is allyship? What's the true definition of allyship? 
Is it a noun? Is it a verb? So I'm going to throw that out to uh, Angelica, you first. So how would you define allyship? So I think allyship really depends on the individual, but ultimately it, it needs to go back to what is your true intention? What is your goal with being an ally, an advocate, an accomplice? Is it to truly uplift communities or is it to center communities? You really need to be true in what that intention is because that's gonna inform what type of allyship or if, even if you are an ally. Um, and then you, to me, allyship is all about understanding when to center other people and when to de-center yourself. And mm -hmm. that can mean, even as me, a Latina, there are moments where I need to de-center myself in certain situations and really understand that perhaps this platform is not for me, it's for another voice to be seen. And allyship doesn't mean that we have to almost be saviors for whatever demographic we're, we're trying to uplift. It, it's more about making space in the platform for those voices to be heard, making space to allow those voices to speak for themselves. And, you know, it's really about taking a look at ourselves and understanding what we're putting out in the world and if we're perpetuating some of the things that we are saying we are speaking against. And so allyship is a lot about self-education, self-reflection and action. What are the steps that we're taking to create better places wherever those may be? Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, it's really key to have that genuine interest for me of challenging larger oppressive power structures, right? And so that active allyship for me, I always think about it in the context of being a verb and it really being active, consistent and a practice of both unlearning, reevaluating and doing all those things that are necessary to better understand another culture. And then also to to step up in moments that you really need to step up, you know, to be an upstander in various situations, circumstances, and environments. Uh, what about you? What say you, Chrislyn? I mean, I don't know if I can say it any better than Angelica. She said it fantastically. Um, you know, really for, for me, it's being consistent no matter who's in the room, right? I am going to fight for uh, the rights and uh, be anti-racist, anti-homophobic, anti, you know, everything else to make sure that they have the rights in the room when they're not present. Um, just because they leave a room doesn't mean they all of a sudden lose the right to be an equal partner in the discussion. So I need to show up for them um, if that's what is needed. And I am going to take the burden off of them and take the brunt of the emotional burden off of them because they have dealt with it their whole lives, whatever it may, whatever it may be. So that is what I think allyship is and how um, I find myself holding that responsibility as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, as I talk to different folks that are in the DEI space, you know, another aspect of conversation that often comes up is the dynamic of being a self-proclaimed ally versus being appointed, right? Like what's the right move? Is it something that, you know, that we should um, reach out to people and say, hey, you know, I believe in this cause and I'm an ally to you versus like more of the perspective of asking, um, do you need help? Do you need support? Do you need this or that? What do you think uh, about that, Angelica and Chris? Yeah, I think we have to be careful about appointing ourselves as allies. When you, when you have to outwardly state it, it's almost like, what, what, what is the need for that? Why do you feel the need to, again, it's all about centering. How are you centering yourself by, by self-proclaiming that you're an ally? What are the steps that you're taking? Sometimes the biggest action you can take is to be silent and be in a room with the people that you're supporting and just being there. You don't have to be part of the conversation. You don't have to be speaking. You don't have to be even contributing anything. Your presence alone is enough. And, you know, sometimes that's hard because it feels like, well, I, I want to do something. I just want to just want to get in there and make change. 
But again, we, we, we need to be sure that we're not centering ourselves and in a way that takes away the voices of those that we are supposedly supporting. And, you know, as a Latina, for me, I don't need anybody to be my voice in, in situations with my community. I just need people to clear the path for me so that I can go ahead and make my own voice heard. And I think, you know, I think Carol, she asked a question about, you know, there's the line between being an ally and being a savior. And I think for me, it's all about the intention again. You know, if you if you're coming from this as as being, you know, from a place of sympathy, or if you're coming from this place of, I just want to help, you know, I just want to, but why do you want to help? We always have to go back to the root of it. Why? Is it because you care? Is it because you want to make a change? There's a difference between saving someone and uplifting someone. And if you are solely focused on saving someone, you're not focused on the root of why you need to save them. I think that's the biggest problem is we don't focus on the root of the issue and really, and really put, put our action towards that. Yeah. Uh, Carol has a question. Go ahead on mute. Can I yeah. just follow up with that then? Because um, I, I thank you, Angelica. I appreciate this conversation. So even in the, the language of I don't need your help, I just need somebody to clear the path. I still feel like I'm, and I'm not expecting this to be a, a you know, here's the answer, here's the formula, because I realize that's not what we're talking about. But I still find myself going, help clear the path where is it that I can help clear the path that I'm not being the great white hope trying to come in and swoop? Because I don't want to become overly enthusiastic and therefore make it seem like, I know you don't need me, but I also don't, if I just sit back and wait for you to ask, is that, is that all you want me to do? Do you, this is where I go back and forth um, with trying to understand how to be usefully and, and positively engaged. Thank you. Bye. Carol, thank you so much for that question. If I can take this one, this is Chris. Um, I want to, you know, I think you're approaching it perfectly. You need to ask because it's going to be different for every person. And if you are within an organization, let's say you have an ERG that is seeking help, um, but their voice isn't being heard or the paths are not being cleared for them or whatever support they're asking for is not being given, then that is where you go in and you say, as a group, what do you need, right? You know, what, what is it that you're looking for? Um, how can I help? Um, because I want to be able to support you. Um, rather than, you know, I, I think that savior syndrome is almost like, hey, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, you know, make this all right for you. And you don't even get their feedback or truly understand what they need or what they're looking for. So just by asking those questions and having those conversations to start up front is the, is the, right step in the right direction. And again, you have we, we have to remember what one person wants from one group is going to be something completely different from another person in that same community. So it is going to be very individualized. Um, and even again, when you take this into organizations, there's going to be different voices and opinions um, within groups. So they may need different things. So it's very, it is a, it is touchy, but you if you can personalize it as much as you can, that is the best way that you can, that you can, I think, approach it. Thank you. That's great. Does anybody else wanna chime in on this or have a perspective they wanna share with the group? Sure, I can um, talk a little bit about um, the allyship. I think, uh, you know, Angelica and uh, Chrissy beautifully put that and in the way I uh, see allyship is when you need to hold each other's hand and everybody are in the intersectionalities. Sometimes there will be an issue where you need to hold another person's hand, but you are not moving in the front and they are pulling you saying that I have an issue, just walk along with me. And then you're walking with them and there will be another time when you'll feel like, hey, Celia needs to walk in the front and let's hold her hand. And then that's when I think that's, it's a chain. Uh, and it's, it's like the chain that we create in our community by supporting each other, uplifting each other and not pulling down someone. 
because we need allies. My wife and my daughter are my biggest allies. I, I kind of wrote that on Facebook about the experience that I have. But I did one example. I can give you an example on how I, um, during Black Lives Matters, um, in the community that I live, we don't have too many people of color. So people in the community said, Celia, you look very close to the brown community. Why don't you talk? And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to speak because this is the issue where I think there has to be a right representation. And I called my friends from LA and I said, hey, can you be in this call? I don't think this is my space. And they were really happy to be a part of the call. The important thing is the first thing I asked is, um, I called the person, I did not have a panel. I just called this person and said, how can I help you? Lucky, how can I help you? You're a trans man, you're a black trans man. How can I help you? And he said, it's the first thing that he said, Celia, don't be my savior and don't be the white savior. Just speak in places where I'm not there. And that's all we need to do. And after that, I exactly knew what to do. And I've been talking in my South Asian community about Black Lives Matters, and there were a lot of areas where I was able to do it. Um, but I'm gonna put in the chat as to what the break uh, of allies is like, um, acknowledge your privilege, listen, learn and unlearn. Eyes instigate tough conversations when we are not there. E is to educate and S is to support and understand and support. So that's the important thing of uh, allies and that's what we use in trans can work quite a bit. I don't. Thank you so much for that, Celia. That's, it's all so very important. Um, I like that there's this general perspective of taking time to actually ask and inquire rather than assume and to kind of have your allyship almost forced upon people. Um, and I think that, you know, I love Celia's, oh, she just dropped it in, perfect, thank you. Uh, she just dropped it there into, into the chat, the acronym for allies. Um, so that breakdown as Rashmi just noted is amazing. So thank you for that, Celia. Um, yeah, and, and I think it goes hand in hand with what we were saying earlier that allyship is really not an identity, but it is this process. This is ongoing process, right? The fact that it's a journey, not a destination. Um, and as we're building these relationships, we're building them based on trust, consistency, and accountability, you know, over and over and over again. And what that might look like for one marginalized group versus another marginalized group may be very different as much as with from individual to individual. So thank you for, for your thoughts on that. Um, what do we think about in terms of activity, right? Like what qualifies, if you will? I know we've heard a couple of things so far, but you have some folks who are kind of like, okay, I read a lot. I'm posting constantly on social media. I'm championing the cause. Um, is, is that enough? Or how active does someone really need to be to be a true ally? I know we've talked a little bit so far about consistency and stepping up in a room when other people aren't in the room or um, pushing them out ahead and making space, right, for them. But do we have any other thoughts on like, what's the threshold, right, for, for true allyship? Allyship doesn't stop. It never stops, right? And especially if you're an ally to everyone, for all groups, you are definitely not stopping. Um, because there are so many groups and communities out there that need help and support. And so, um, you know, I, I'm going to fight for the Black community, the LGBTQ community, the Latinx community. I'm going to fight for all of them because, you know, they all need to have their voices and, the, and their causes lifted and supported. So, um, again, it's, it's never going to stop. I'm never going, and that's the thing is, and I think I saw um, another question of, you know, how do you, what do you do about posting? Or I think there was, what was mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Uh, about posting and peer uh, appearing to be performative. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you are a true ally, you are not posting about it. You are just acting and let other people lift your name up and say, Hey, this person is awesome and rocking it. Right. Think like this person is being an ally to me. 
that is how you get your name out there. And that is how you show that you're an ally. You got to put your money where your mouth is and walk that walk. You do it based on your actions and it's not going to stop. So social media posts are the easiest thing. It doesn't even take more than a thumb click away to do that. So that is, if that's your bar, it is a very low bar and you need to raise it. Mm, I love that. You know, little Wayne says real G's move in silence like lasagna. Ponder on that for a minute, <laughs> right? So it's not about tooting our own horn and saying, I'm an ally. Look at what I'm doing. Look at my social media feed. It's really about what you're doing um, in the day-to-day, in the small, less detected possible, you know, ways that it really matters most when nobody's watching and you're not walking around with your chest puffed out with your ally badge, um, but more so just how are you moving throughout the world? What are you doing um, to help others? I think that that's great. Um, what say you, Miss Angelica? Um, yeah, I agree. I think it's all about how you show up when you're not needed. Well, are you showing up now because there's a world event happening or a national event happening? It's all about consistency. And it's not just in the big things. It's in how you interact with the groups that you are an ally to. So are you consistently intentional about how you interact with these groups? Are you intentional about looking at who you, you know, if you're moderating or if you're in public spaces that allow you to put together panels, are you looking at who you're moderating with? Why are all these panels white? Um, you know, on, in Clubhouse, you, I don't know if any of you are on there, but you can't hide from some of those. And it's, it's really about the small things. I think sometimes we, we get into this human nature of, I just wanna do that big thing that can change the world and that's great, but it's important to start small. And it could be something as simple as, hey, I noticed that you know so-and-so from work or, or whatnot is not included in this happy hour. Or I noticed that you know, so-and-so is you know, not being amplified. That was so-and-so's idea. It's all about intentionality and awareness. You know, are you taking ideas from women of color, especially you know, it, it, the darker the skin, we tend to lose some of our power in some of our words. You know, are you taking the work and reframing it as your own in some situations? That's not an ally. Like you really have to be aware of how you are showing up in spaces where people are not being heard, not being seen, not being valued. And it's more than just a post, like Chris said, it's more than just, I, I wouldn't even say it's, it's about the activity again, it all goes back to what is your true intention here? Is it for your own notoriety and to be centered as a quote unquote ally? Or is it because you actually value the voices of the people you're trying to help? So, you know, I think it's important to not stop with a social media post, but to actively champion this in the smallest ways in and out of work. And sometimes those will not be noticed. Sometimes those will not be, you know, however many likes or, or shares or whatnot. Sometimes it's just about being there in the moment for somebody when they need them. Yeah, I love that. No, that's great. Um, we're very conscious of time today and we do wanna be able to have you guys go out into breakout rooms, but there's one other topic that I, I wanna broach before we do that. Um, I had a conversation with someone recently um, and it was a really interesting topic and it was this dynamic of white allies, right? And whether or not, you know, they should be in this space, championing this work, conversations, DEI work. And I have to tell you, um, as a fair-skinned Black woman, I get really fired up about this because my perspective is that, you know, you can be, if you have the right heart, set and the right mindset and the right intentionality for me I don't care what your ethnicity is I don't care what your religion is I don't care what your sexual identity is and to put people in a box that way and say that only a certain segment of people can help others and I'll speak for myself as a as a black woman um you know I I, I take real issue with that, um, when I think about, and I know I posted recently 
on uh, LinkedIn about this, you know, MLK is, is someone that had white allies. He is someone that understood the importance of us doing the work as a collective and that we are not necessarily able as black people to get into certain rooms and to move certain needles and champion certain conversations because we do not hold the positions of power um, that our white counterparts often do. And so as a result, to sit there and say that white people don't really have a dog in this fight, as I've often heard, or shouldn't be leading certain efforts, um, launching podcasts, launching, being heads of DEI organizations and so forth, I get the sensitivity and the understanding and the learning that needs to be there, but to then turn around and slight them and say, well, you don't have any place here, you shouldn't be here, I really take issue with. So um, I'm, I'm curious as to, to what the group thinks on that. So feel free to unmute yourself and, and jump in the combo. So um, I just wanted to reiterate your statement there. <clears throat> I think that in many ways, we forget that in order to make change happen in American society these days, it has to happen with people that hold power. And invariably those people that hold power have white, um, it's part of white society and they have white privilege. And the ability for them to actually acknowledge that privilege, but also put it to use to make a difference, to take action, to actually make change governance structures, to make a change in how, how the laws and the, the regulations that govern a lot of what is institutional racism um, you know, is in place that can actually make a difference. And it can't just be people protesting in the streets. It really needs to have the behind the scenes work of people that, have a, that, that are committed to making the society more just for everyone more and um, in order for this to happen. So um, white society is, a, is in very important in making this issue of uh, taking this position of allyship, but also making a difference in the, in the, the, in, you know, the, um, the diversity, equity, and inclusion that we need to have to, to really make American society more just and more fair and equitable for everybody um, that's here. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we have a, thank you for that, Steve. We actually have a question. Um, it says, why would someone that is in power want to give up their privilege if they in turn risk losing their power? So I think that's a really interesting question. I think for me, what I look at is you've got to love equity enough to be willing to give up the power, right? You've got, it's got to be that inherent and that important to you to say, I'm willing to step to the side, but at the same time, like this dynamic and this structure, it's not, you hear people say this all the time, it's not pie. Like there's more of it. Like what is it that you really lose by sharing space and championing someone and putting someone before you? Um, I just, I, I don't necessarily see the loss being as great as some people promote it to be. Um, I think to, for me, when I hear that sometimes, I think that sometimes it's just um, a way to promote fear for those that are already in power <laughs> so that they continue to hold on to the power, right? And, and continue to marginalize. Jeff Harry's given me thumbs up. Yeah. So that's what it really has felt like for me, that that's really at the core of that is just fear of giving up the power and then spreading that and promoting that so that we can continue the societal systemic racism that has been governing this country uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so following on that, Yvonne, it's really a, a, a difference between a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance. The issue, is it a zero sum game or is, is, the, is the pie just going to be bigger because more people can be involved and, and have that equitable participation in society. And so, you know, if, if you adhere to the, 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 the scarcity mindset, then you're always going to um, push back because you're always thinking that somebody's gonna take something away. But if you have the abundance mindset, then everyone benefits from, from this greater participation. And so you can only 
actually add to your, your positions of power and privilege because you allowed others to participate at that same level. So it's, it's really this, this mindset. And I think that as we all want to have an, an equitable society, I think we have to change that mindset. It's not a zero sum game. It really is the pie is only going to get bigger. Yeah, I love that. Great. Awesome. Anybody else have a have a take on that they want to share? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to add. Um, I really okay. love what you're saying, Steve. Um, and I also I wanted to also note that I mean, in, the, in this pandemic, we've seen that things like opportunity hoarding and exploitation of people. And we see that billionaires are just becoming richer. And so it's not necessarily, I was listening to Who We Are, which is uh, Ben and Jerry's podcast, but it's also uh, Vox Media. And I would highly recommend it, six episodes. Um, and it overviews the way that anti-racism and anti-blackness and like the racial wealth gap is increasing. And so um, operating from the scarcity mindset is, I would absolutely caution against that. And also recognizing that there are people that hoard opportunity and hoard wealth. And like, and I don't mean to delve into politics here, but like the concept of billionaires existing is something that isn't necessarily, that's like an inequitable concept, period. Like, I don't know if people have seen the memes online about, you know, the difference between a million and a billion and, you know, math is not my strong suit, but the difference between a million and a billion is like an incomprehensible amount of money. And it isn't necessarily playing Robin Hood politics where we steal from the rich, but we do find that, you know, people are, you know, like I said, hoarding the opportunity, hoarding, uh, they're not paying their taxes. And it's, it's just about, you know, if there's an, if there's an uh, underprivileged by the inverse of that, there is an overprivileged. Okay, there's a mic drop on that one. Overprivileged, I love that. I absolutely love that. Amazing. All right, Chris, um, so I'm thinking now we're going to go into our breakout rooms. We wanna give you guys about 10 minutes to bat around some ideas. I'm gonna drop these two questions. Um, into the chat, and then I'll also broadcast out to the break rooms. Um, the main question is, um, if we are alienating allies, is it our responsibility in our communities, whether that be Black, Latinx, Asian, to bring allies along, or do they just need to keep up? And then the secondary question, are there any practices that we've seen that could have alienated our allies, and how can we do better? All right, Yvonne, we are all back, so I will let you take it away. All right, awesome. Okay, um, I would love Steve Tarasaki to finish his statement because it was amazing. Um, we had an amazing discussion, but we got bounced out. So uh, Steve, if you don't mind, um, jump, jump back in and, and tell the people that last thought you had. So I'm, I'm part of a board of directors of the, um, an endowment foundation for a religious organization. We have a pretty large portfolio and we were we were talking with our fund manager, um, our advisor, and um, we've asked them to, to demonstrate um, both environmental um, kind of, under, you know, that we're investing in environmental and social justice kind of equities, but also the diversity, equity, and inclusion aspects about the fund managers that they select to help create the portfolios. And it was really telling them the equity um, side of the equation, there were, there were no fund managers that were um, owned by people of color or women. And um, as, a, as an organization that's really comes from a community of, of color, we, we said we really wanted to make sure that they go out and find those people that in fact, when you talk about equity, you know, equity doesn't happen, um, you know, be, that everyone's equal across the board. Um, you know, people of color and, and women owned firms may or may not be you know, have have an equal footing when you start to to start it start to look at the the um, the balance of how they may um, evaluate fund managers. And we said, you know, we want you to take a, di a different look at this. And I think one of the things that I came out of this is that as a community of color, we we actually have a position of power that we can make a difference in some of the in some of these financial um, investment. Um, you know, firms and who can participate in the in in some of these 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 fund portfolios that really can make a difference both for for them and for representation of people of color in this whole 
financial in investment advisory field. And so, you know, that's just one statement of we all have, um, we all attain certain positions and we can be making a difference by speaking out and by advocating for things that really matter um, and can change the institutional framework of what is, what has been a racist kind of approach to a lot of things. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that, Steve. It's, it's critically important. And I love the fact that you're on the forefront of that and you're, you're what I would call unapologetically authentic about that. And so that's really refreshing. So awesome. Um, we do have a question. Um, uh, how, can, how do you strike a balance of knowing when to uplift yourself and when to uplift others? I, I'd love to clarify the question. Are we talking, uh, I, I want more, I guess I don't under, fully understand the question. More context. Um, so I would say, Chris, you threw this one in there. Did you have more context for that? Yeah, I think the, the context was around um, as an ally or someone acting as an ally. Okay. You know, how do you know when to lift yourself up? If you are maybe perhaps in a marginalized community uh, versus lifting others up. If I were to use myself as an example, if I'm interpreting the question correctly, as an Asian American, when should I lift myself up versus maybe lift someone up in the black community or the LGBTQ community? Steve, it looks like you've got your hand up. I know, and I, I don't wanna take time away from others because I've given a lot of airtime already. So I feel awkward. So if somebody else wants to go first, please go ahead. I can uh, quickly summarize that. Um, so there was a time when I was standing up for the transgender community in my, in my community, and I was standing up for me. But when I realized that there were lots of other issues that were happening in my community against gun violence, there was a borderline shooting that happened. My daughter's friend lost her life um, and the healthcare issues were happening, immigration issues were happening. I just had to step back and say, um, it's not about trans issue, these are human rights issues. So first and foremost, I kept the human rights issues in the forefront and my personal issues in the back. And I started working with my friends on that and said, I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna stand with you. And that's the, those are the times when they acknowledged the fact that I was with them, not fighting for any LGBTQ rights, but I was fighting for immigration rights when the children were in the cages. So those are the times when I felt like I need to be there. And when the Pride Month happened and when there was so much of, um, you know, when during other times I have seen the community come and help me too. Um, they've supported me in the school board. They've said, you know, Celia, we want to make a change in the school board. We want you to speak up now. And this is your platform. So they gave me those platforms when I felt like, oh, this is my time. So I think the more we are selfless about ourselves at the same time, also taking care of ourselves is important. Um, they will understand when you're working with other human beings who are like you and passionate about what you're doing. They will, I mean, it's, it's all about helping each other. I think it will happen, but you don't have a timing or a cutoff period <laughs> in any of these. It just happens organically when you're working with people. I also think it's important to like acknowledge the verses in that question. You know, we're basically pitting one uplifting against each other, which happens a lot in, in you know, different communities of color where we feel like if, you know, for the Latinx community, I know that when Black Lives Matter happened, what I would hear a lot from my community would be like, well, what did you do for us? Well, why should I, why should I join for you? And it's this us versus them, especially as communities of color. And it, it goes back to that scarcity mindset where, you know, our generations of ancestors were taught that in order to uplift ourselves, we have to push down other people. And that's not the case. Our survival is all tied to each other. We are globally the majority. And if we simply understand that, you know, as a Latinx woman, me uplifting the black community and decentering myself in those conversations does not mean my struggle is less than. It means that, uh, that our liberation is tied together by, up, by uplifting other people, we're helping uplift ourselves. And I think it's different maybe in the, in, for, for white folks, I think, you know, it's a little bit of different like power dynamics. But again, I think there's a way to uplift others and also make sure that your self-care, your mental health is also in the forefront of your mind as well. 
I have to say that, you know, um, strength comes from um, our own self-awareness. So understanding ourselves really gives us a centering that allows us to then be, uh, to have the strength to help others. And so it, it'll be authentic. Once we, once we have that self-awareness about ourselves um, as an Asian American male, um, being centered around that, um, I don't have to explain it anymore. I don't have to pretend it's, it's just who I am. And by being authentic about who I am, I'm in a better position to be advocating for what I truly believe in as part of an American society that really, really a tapestry of, of everyone. And we all need to have that equality represented at the table. So, you know, it, I, I have to say that it, it starts with yourself from an inward reflection and, a, and an understanding of who you really are. And once you have that within yourself, um, it, it, just your, it, just, it just gives you strength to be um, in a position of making a difference for many, many others who become part of your, your broader community, not just, not just my Asian American community, but my community of folks that I, I participate within. So that's my kind of sense of it, starting with yourself. I'll also just add that I work primarily with the disabled community and it's it's a community that's um, intersectional by nature, but often kind of marginalized within marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that feeling of pain of being overlooked, even where we would look for allies, but it's a heavy burden to carry pain like that, to always feel that scarcity mindset and to feel that us versus them sensation and this this might feel naive but like it really is an emotional burden to carry that kind of of weight that I can only survive if others around me are are you know not, are struggling um that that connection that we can see within each other and, and the ways that we work together to lift each other up feels so much more powerful to me that's not to discount that that feeling. That's still a feeling you get to have that that kind of righteous anger of like, excuse me, but <laughs> but like yeah, to just make sure you're not carrying it to the to your own inability to to do the work you really need to do. All right, thank you for that, Laura. Michael, is it the the pronunciation okay? He has a question that as an ally, are there any ideas on what we need to do to take a break? in order to re-energize ourselves so we can stay strong in supporting each other. Does anybody have any recommendations on, on kind of taking a break? And I'll say for, you know, go ahead, Michael, give us, you know, do you have any particular traditions or practices that you engage in to kind of refresh and re-energize yourself for the work? Well, one of the things that I do, I, I, I meditate a lot um, because sometimes I go too far with my support uh, and I feel overwhelmed and I was just wondering if there are any other ideas. So I meditate a lot, uh, usually twice a day, long walks um, and just, just ob observing the beauty around me and the friendships and things. But, I'm, but I struggle sometimes when I'm doing more than one battle at once and the Asian issues have really been taking a toll on me uh, because I've been fighting really hard because of friends and family that are, are really involved. And if it was just one issue, it would be great, but there's so many issues going on now for all of us. And I'm just trying to figure out how long can I take a break? Should I take a break? <laughs> and how do we keep moving and, and keep supporting each other? Well, I, I would like to say, um, yes, please take a break, right? Just like anything, I mean, anything else in, in life, um, you cannot pour from an empty cup, right? I mean, and if you are fighting for others and your cup is empty, I mean, you may be hurting the cause more than you are promoting it and boosting it up. So um, I think it is more than okay to say, hey, I, am, I need to take a, a step back for the rest of the day for, uh, you know, like like I'll check in with you tomorrow, whatever it is you need to do and whatever rituals work for you, right? We, we also have to care for our own mental and emotional and spiritual health as well. So um, there is no shame. You may, I mean, I, it would not surprise me that some individuals may guilt you for that and say, well, I have to go through this every day. Um, 
there's there's going to be people who are like that and we need to say i understand and i but i i like i have to take a step back because i am i'm going through this trying you know i'm fighting for this for with you as well so hopefully they're understanding um i mean you know yvonne and i i will say you know i'll speak for our our fellow co-founders i love that these co-found this this group the the rest of the administration team that we have uh today it's just yvonne and myself because you know we have lives we have other things going on things come up things happen you have to show each other grace and compassion and allow them to have space when they need it. Um, so if they're fighting for me, I have to know that as an individual that they're fighting for me as well and, and that it's gonna be reciprocated later on. So um, that's just my two cents and uh, I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I'll say for myself personally, um, prayer for me is, is kind of the solitude in, in what I go to. Um, I'm trying to learn to meditate more, especially doing this work, because it, it is, it's very emotional work and it can be extremely draining. Um, so for me, prayer, quiet time, self-care through um, taking baths and just kind of stepping away from it. Um, I think even, you know, there's so much to learn, with all of this and doing this work. And so there's always, for me, there's always more to read. There's always more webinars to attend. It's like, there's, it's never ending. And so I do have to be very intentional with how I separate myself just for a segment of time. So whether again, that's prayer or it's just um, sometimes what I'll refer to as mindless TV, <laughs> which is, I don't have to think about it. I can purely be entertained. Like that's a good thing. Um, and remembering to laugh because this work is hard and it can put you in a really heavy state on a continuum if you're not careful. And so I try to remember how important it is to laugh. And there's this crazy guy named Chris Lynn who sends me these memojis of like sharks talking and my inner child just absolutely eats it up. And so I'm really hoping one day he'll actually do like a whole web series or something with it, but he's also part of my, uh, my laughter, part of my, uh, yeah, that remedy that I need, so. I would also say it's important to realize there's no right or wrong way to self-care. I think sometimes we're taught that, you know, self-care is candles and bubble baths and chocolate and all this other stuff, but if that doesn't work for you, then that's okay. And you just have to figure out a way that honors your soul and your needs because everybody is different. And I think I've fallen into that pit of, I don't know if I'm taking care of myself the right way. Is this the right way? And so, yeah, for me, it's just been really paying attention to my thoughts, writing them down, like being aware of how I'm speaking to myself internally and uh, also community, being able to talk to other people about what I'm going through or what I'm feeling. Community is such a critical part, I think, of all of this for all of us. I mean, that's essentially why we're here, right? This is part of that, of, of being uh, learning and growing and being fed as much as we're, you know, giving out. And so it's really beautiful. I'm so happy to be a part of this um, and meeting all you beautiful, amazing souls and how you just continue to bring yourselves and your heart and your vulnerability to these conversations. Um, I'm constantly learning, we all are, um, and we're all tremendously grateful for that. So um, is there anybody else that has any last thoughts, something per perhaps that was shared in their breakout rooms that they want to throw out real quick before, before we close? Well, I, I do, I do want to address um, Jeff's question, even though he's not here anymore um, about um, what, people can do for it, the Asian American community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, it, it, it's this, it's similar to other causes, but what I have personally been telling people who ask me this question is reach out to those in your circles, those people that you know, who identify as Asian American Pacific Islander, because they are hurting and Unfortunately, based on my experience, the individuals I've talked to, they're actually numb. They're very numb to what's happening right now. 
And so to be very genuine and curious with them and say, hey, you know, I know this is really tough, but I'm here for you. If you would like to talk, what can I do for you? Um, how can I support you? Um, and, and, and start the conversation there. So um, I would start there at the very least and then just learn about, you know, where this may have come from, learn about what, what's been going on, just like you would with any other group as well. So, um, but just reach out to those individuals because they, um, they, I know a lot of them may not feel like they have a voice in this when they really do. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for that. Um, and it goes right back to, I think when we started the conversation and in, in saying, you know, it's really important to just ask, you know, if you want to be an ally, just ask no matter the task or, or whatever is said. Some people might say, you know, there's, there's not much you can do, but keep me in your thoughts, you know, keep me in your prayers or you can give to this or that, you know, um, whatever ways that, that you can do it. Um, I think it's really, it's really important, but ask the question first. I love that. So thank you. Uh, for that, Chris. So uh, if that's all, we will close out tonight's session. We're so grateful for all of you. As we mentioned, uh, um, we will actually be on deck again next week. I know, Chris, you mentioned, I, I, I'll be totally honest, I don't recall what's up next week. So if you want to throw that out there to the group, it's a quick teaser. Yeah, we will actually be addressing the Asian American Pacific Island uh, Islander um, issue next week. So um, it will, I think, be more of a discussion similar to how we had it this week. So um, I will, we will be bringing on some individuals who can speak to it. But from there, we will just have a conversation and go from there. Awesome. So thank you, everyone. Don't forget um, to continue to follow the hashtag join lead. Um, share it out with your friends, talk about this discussion, invite family members, whomever, anyone in your circle, and even folks who are not, um, because we're all in this together. So thank you for your time, your hearts, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you again for tuning into this special episode on the Leading People First podcast, where our leaders for equity, allyship, and diversity conversation explored whether or not we are alienating our own allies. We hope you can join us next time live as we come together to learn, activate, and empower to make a difference in the world. We meet on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific, and you can find the next event on LinkedIn, so make sure you are following our group. If you'd like more information, feel free to reach out to me directly. I'm happy to share that information with you, or you can check out the group and my information down below in the show notes. Don't forget to click that subscribe button to hear more of our conversations moving forward and be sure to share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. We're so excited you've joined us in this movement. Let's go out into the world and lead together and stay awesome.